Hey, everybody, this is pop culture critic John Tatey welcoming you back to Pop Mom, the podcast where culture is relative. Yes, it's time again for my mom, Bonnie Tatey, to share her view of pop culture, small town life, and the riddles of human nature. On this episode, Mom reviews the Hulu miniseries Catch-22. Let's bring Mom in now. Hi, Mom. Hi, John. How are you? I'm good. I got a little bit of a cold, but hopefully the listeners uh, cannot detect that. It'll just come out and wheezing and hacking every time I laugh, That's which is right. always fun. Right. And we'll listen for your running your nose up your the length of your sleeve. Ugh. Well, I didn't need that. I know. I'm sorry. I was picturing the children more than you. Yeah, you know I'm a grown man now, right? Yes, I know you're a grown man, but I, mean, I only bought underwear as a like a little surprise because uh, it doesn't clutter the house. You could throw out your old underwear, and these were all colored. Mom recently took a trip up to the outlets in Maine and uh, texted me, Afterward, to let me know that she'd bought me uh, two pairs of underwear in the wrong size Not and in a pair. brand that I don't like. Two packs, and you used to wear them all the time. Yeah, but I, I, I don't. And as I told you, I, you know, as a 37-year-old man, I do it like to handle my own boxer briefs at this point. It's to show, it's to acknowledge Father's Day and say, here, I was thinking of you. Here's a little gift. And, and you are... And and it's not clutter because you could throw out old underwear, uh-huh. and and they were fun. They were all different colors and they were very pretty and fun. So that that was my way of showing you that I was thinking of you and that I love you and Happy Father's Day. But you know you don't seem to understand that part. Can you still return them, or did you already write my name on the tags? <laughs> well, they wouldn't fit you now because you're bigger. <laughs> so, and I, I could have said that really nasty, but I didn't. But Merrick will take them. Your brother will take them. Okay, great. But but you are unappreciative. Uh, yeah, I, I am unappreciative. That is, that is an accurate <laughs> characterization of my attitude toward this wrong size, wrong brand underwear. Well, Johnny, you do have to admit you wore Calvin Klein for a long number of years. And you used to be a size medium. Well, maybe when I was in high school. No, 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 no. As a grown-up, you were size mm, medium. Yes, you were. I'm pretty sure I know my own underwear size. but Well, okay. I'm pretty sure I've washed your underwear when you were size medium. But apparently I haven't since you're size large. But... That's all right. So happy Father's Day to you with nothing. (laughs) Nothing for you. That's fine. That's my favorite gift. Well, I'll be sure to remember that at Christmas. Uh, How was your trip? How was your trip to Maine other than getting the wrong underwear? You're you're not going to win this argument. I'm just telling you that. Well, see, I can edit the podcast. Yes, I'm talking now. You can't talk. You can't talk over me now. I'm talking now. We're we're moving on. Okay. Um, as long as did. I won, we can move on. <laughs> you did not win. So anyway, I wanted to get a pair of sparkly earrings at the Swarovski store mm-hmm. where we went in, and I selected a pair of earrings, and I went to the counter to pay for them, and then 
they said, would you like to sign up for blah, 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 you know, whatever their thing uh, is. Yeah. No, no, thank you. No, thanks. She says, all right, well, we have to have your email for the warranty or something. What? And I, yeah. And I said, what? Yeah, she said, yes, it's just so, you know, in case something happens, you can just bring it right back in and we'll give you a brand spanking new one if a stone falls out or blah, blah, blah. So, okay, I give her my email because I figure I'll get an email and then I'll just say, don't send me any more emails. Mm. Well, what is your address and what is your this? And, oh, I see you're already in the computer and fill out this and that. So Merrick's getting so uh, pissed as only Merrick can get. Mm -hmm. So he starts saying, what, what is this? What is this nonsense? And I said, go, go wait outside. So he is still hot bitching. And, you know, so we get out of that store, we go into uh, crate and barrel and get back to this, to the car. And he's lost his sunglasses. And he said, oh, I must have set them down in crate and barrel. And I said, you know, you know what you did, don't you? Uh, let me go look in crate and barrel. So he goes and looks in crate and barrel. Of course, they're not there. They're, of course, mm. in the Swarovski store, which he goes back in. And they're so nice. <laughs> they're so nice to him. And uh, the girl says, oh, she says, you're a Capricorn, aren't you? And he said, yeah, how did you know that? She said, she, she, meaning me, mm -hmm. told us. So uh. he came out, he was smiling. and <laughs> But how embarrassing to make a big stink and then you got to go back in and get your sunglasses, oh, right? No kidding, no kidding. You know, a couple of months ago I told you about just a little run-in that I had that irritated me at the shoe store. And yeah. I was so glad that I did not make a stink because I realized <laughs> once we were finally about to get out of there that I needed to get a token so that I could get out of the little parking lot. Um, so, yes, sometimes it's better to hold your tongue. And there was a situation where I would have uh, been quite sheepish if I had to go ask for that yeah. token so I could have my car back. Oh, you know, sometimes it feels good to let it all out, but sometimes uh, it just doesn't pay. I know, I know. It feels good to let it all out, but then usually afterward, it doesn't feel too good. That's right. That's right. Uh, what's been going on in the neighborhood lately, Mom? Well, I have a very weird story to tell you. And I told this story to Merrick, and he he wasn't really impressed with this story. So oh, I can't and wait. maybe if it was Halloween, it would be a better story. Oh, is it a spooky story? It's a, it's an odd story. Oh, okay. I'll say that. Okay. So last week I was going to go up. I went up to the, I was going to the drugstore. <laughs> Off to a good start, yeah. huh? Um, Cause I was going to get inserts for my new shoes. And I go out there, and there's a woman that used to live up the street from us that that I like. She was very funny, I thought. And she says, hi, how are you doing? I said, oh, great, how are you? And, yeah, I was over in the neighborhood the other day cleaning somebody's house across the way. And she said, and I saw Mimi and her daughter 
Now, Mimi is the woman that used to live in the house next to us, and she moved out three years ago to go live with her daughter. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, somebody else bought the house in order to flip it, and now there's an older woman living in that house. But they've been out doing a lot of yard work, and she... So this woman, Tammy, says to me, I saw Mimi and her daughter at the house the other day doing yard work. Well, coincidentally, the week before, Mimi had passed away. And her obituary was in the paper. And I said, Tammy, she's dead. Oh, no, she said, I saw her right in the yard with her daughter and they were doing planting some, planting some flowers and, and doing some landscaping. And I said, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why, why would she be here, even if she knew the people that bought her house? This is now somebody completely new. Yeah. Why would she be there doing yard work? Well, she said, I don't know. They were there in, in Sue's white truck and... I was going to go over and say hello, but then I was in a hurry and I didn't. I said, well, why would she be there two people later doing yard work and she's dead? (laughs) Yeah, she's busy being dead. She doesn't have time to take care of the yard work. Time for yard work. And she said, well, I swear that was her. And I I just kept saying to her, "It, it doesn't make sense, even if she's not dead, but she's dead. So anyway, I couldn't convince her. And I thought finally I said, well, all right, I'm going to have to go over and talk to this neighbor. <laughs> so. Okay. Cause you know, uh, as you like to say, I like to say, this is who I'm becoming, but you like to say becoming. Yeah. So that's right. the listeners can decide. So I see her out in the yard and I say to dad, I'm going to go over and talk to the neighbor, which he thinks is really a lunatic idea, but all right, I'm going to go over and I tell her this story. I introduce myself. I'm your next door neighbor. This Uh, is the first interaction you've ever had with this person. And you're telling her this cockamamie ghost story, essentially, right? Exactly. Cockamamie, maybe I should say. Mm -hmm. And that's why you get paid the big bucks. <laughs> okay. Proceed. So, so I tell her this story and she says, Hmm. She says, I don't know anybody with a white truck. My friend has a red truck that helped me do some of the gardening. And I said, no, no, it's a very, it's a very distinctive white truck. And she said, There's never been a white truck here. Hmm. Now, I have to confess to you, I also saw the white truck. You did. The white kind of translucent truck with a sheet over it going. (laughs) No, it's it's an old truck, like maybe, Uh I don't know what the cars look like in the 80s, but maybe something like that. Hmm. But I didn't go over because I'm trying to. What I was trying to do was avoid being neighborly at all until I could see if she picked up her dog crap. Um, But I had to forego that in order to get this information. Mm -hmm. So, no, 
No, nobody has been at her house doing yard work. Certainly not Mimi, who she tells me has been bedridden because she heard that from another woman down the street. But she tells me she does do an occasional reading for people who want to communicate with uh, someone that has passed over. And now I'm thinking, wow, what is this cesspool that I am swimming in of just, I need time. I need some time. Yes, she does readings, and there's a man's presence in the house, and she doesn't know how old, how long he's been there. And and now I'm thinking, all right, I, I just need to extricate myself from this because it's getting so bizarre, but I still can't put a period at the end of this whole thing because it's so weird. Yeah. So do you go through with the reading? <laughs> she did. <laughs> I let that one lay mm. like a rattlesnake in the sun. I just left that alone. I, I just, but isn't that a weird story? That's the end of the story? Well, what? This is real life. This isn't a movie. Wait, you don't think that's weird? Well, I do think it's weird, but I have to let the listeners in that Mom has been holding this story close to the vest all week. And she said, uh, she told me the other day, now this is going to be the perfect story for the podcast because I have the ending. I have the conclusion to the story. And I thought we would find out, this is my first time hearing all the details. Mom was very cagey about it. Um, She wanted me to hear it fresh. And I guess I'm just wondering the truck. What happened to the ghost truck? Oh, oh, I don't know. Because if she says <clears throat> a white truck has never been here to help her, I'm wondering what Tammy and I saw. Well, yeah, so am I. That's why I thought the big conclusion of the story would be, oh, it was Mr. Ghostly from up the street, just ghosting it up. <laughs> why would he have a truck? He wouldn't even be able to have a driver's license if you were a ghost. Well, you wouldn't need one if you were a ghost. That's why he drives a ghost truck. (laughs) A Ford F-150 Ghost Edition. Right, and that's what it was, like a Ford F-150. White. (laughs) But how can this... I mean, I'm thinking the neighbor is cuckoo, because how could she... How could we tell her these details? Two people that see a white truck of people that are doing gardening in her yard, and she's saying, no, she's never m- met them. She's They weren't there, and there was no white truck. I mean, that's crazy, right? It is somewhat crazy. Well, what percent crazy do you think it is? 60 all right, well, it's over 50. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. But, you know, it's, what are you supposed to do with all this crazy information? Well, that's the question I'm asking myself right now as the host of this podcast. <laughs> all right. Well, wait, do you want me to tell you another story? <laughs> what do you, you mean? Can edit that out? No, 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 no. We're not editing that out. No, no. It's a it's an entertaining story. I just it's a cliffhanger is the problem. 
because I want to know whence this white truck. Well, I don't know where else to go with it. I mean, I. (sighs) This is another pop mom investigation, but you're right. (laughs) You may be fresh out of leads. Unless this woman does a reading out in her front yard. Well, that's, I think, I think you have to, you have to go get the reading. No, she didn't offer to do a reading. She just said she does do reading. Isn't that an implicit offer? Maybe, but I'm not touching it. I don't want to be that intimate with her, you know? Oh, you don't want to get her on the phone and have her do the reading on the podcast? (laughs) No, I don't want, no, because. That's what I want. I don't think I want anything to do with her now because I don't know if she's. Maybe I'm crazy, or Tammy's crazy, well, or this lady is crazy, and I just don't want to find out that it's me. Well, I don't think anybody's uh, crazy over a mistaken truck identity, but I do think we need to have this reading performed on the podcast. <laughs> no. No, no. Okay. Well, um, this has been the story of the Wilmot, New Hampshire ghost truck. Uh, It certainly wasn't what I expected. I'll give you that, Mom. All right. All right. Um, I like that. Hey, before we uh, move on to the new business of the Catch-22 series, we have some old business to address. Uh, On the last edition of the podcast, Mom talked about her uh, friend uh, who we're calling Marguerite, who always wants to run errands with mom, but never wants to have a meal out or do anything else fun because she's on a tight budget and doesn't want mom to treat all the time, understandably so. So we asked the listeners to write in with advice, and we got one email, mom. Well, you know what? At least one person wanted to help, and I appreciate that. Well, I'm sure a lot of people wanted to help. They just didn't. uh, You know, we asked in the middle of the podcast. I find when I ask at the end, I get better results. So I should have done that. But uh, my mistake. I think you did. I think you did. Oh, did I? So people just let us down. Well, they so rarely let us down that we'll let this one slide. That's true. Really, they didn't let us down because I think our uh, correspondent who did write in, Eli B. from Ann Arbor, um, had a very nice idea. I don't know if it's workable in this particular situation, but I'll read you the email, okay. right? This is from Eli okay. B. in Ann Arbor, who writes, Mom could buy groceries and let Marguerite use them to cook a meal for the two of them. Mom gets a nice meal without having to cook, and Marguerite gets some free food, free food without feeling like a charity case or having to borrow from Mom's kitchen. That's interesting. There is one more piece, though, Mm. is that she's a horrible cook. I know, I know. (laughs) It's a very sweet idea, but as soon as I read it, I thought, I think maybe this doesn't apply to this particular. Doesn't apply to this because she's a terrible cook. (laughs) And I gave her, this 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 is the truth. I gave her a recipe on how to cook a roast because... She, she was constantly calling me, constantly calling me. And I cook a roast in a maybe five or six different ways. So I said, here's a foolproof recipe. Get a three-pound roast or a two-pound roast or four-pound whatever. Whatever it is, preheat your oven to 500 degrees and cook the roast. Cook it for five minutes for every pound. And then turn the oven off. And don't open the door for two hours. Hmm. And your roast will come out rare, 
you know, that's yeah. how I like it. Yeah. Every time. Now, this recipe could not be simpler, right? Yep. Put on whatever you want to season it. Throw it in the oven. Cook it for 15 minutes. Turn the oven off and leave it. Just forget it. She calls me every time she gets a roast and says, what is that recipe? <laughs> and I said to her the last time, Marguerite, yeah. write this down. There's nothing to it. Well, I just can't remember it, she says. So that's <laughs> it. This is what I feel a lot of your interactions with her are like, is it just ends up with you saying basically hello right yeah yeah while i thought at first blush that we had quite a lot in common uh, the most common thing we have is is that we're both human beings well that's that's, a good start well i know but i think that's the end of it well that's a good end too being human is a good thing to be (laughs) well you're no help no, I'm not. But Eli, I think, was very thoughtful and helpful. And uh, let's say a thank you to Eli for writing in. I do appreciate it. And I'm, but I am going to think about that because... Maybe there's some different spin on it you can you can do. Maybe it's not cooking in particular, but yeah, maybe there's some other spin on it you can you can put. As yeah. for the rest of you, well, go pound yeah, sand, I guess. Nothing. Yeah, thanks for nothing. Exactly. Yeah. Boy, if we were giving away a prize, you'd all be there, wouldn't you? <laughs> I know. We should have had a prize attached because then the email pours in. That's Oof, right. That slogan contest. Good Lord. That was a good one. Yeah. People jumped right on that one. But I think this was just a tough one to solve. Tough one to come up with new ideas uh, for. And uh, so thank you, Eli, for making the effort. Yes, that was so thank sweet. thank you, Eli. Because that is an idea um, that I that I might be able to you know, work with yeah. in yeah. yeah. Adapt that one. Yeah. You will keep us apprised of the further developments on the Marguerite front, as well as uh, please book the next door neighbor for the next, next week's podcast. So she can do that reading on the air. Cause I really want that to happen. <clears throat> I'm really not, I'm not doing that. If you can make this happen, that. I'll take the underwear. How's that? No, they won't even fit you. Well, I'll wear Are them gonna... anyway and I'll get all no. chafed. <laughs> On my crotch lines, and but it'll be worth All it. All right. Well, you said these were floppy, though, now. No, I said they were bunchy. I find oh, bunchy. Calvin Klein to be bunchy. Well, that leads me to think of something that perhaps, you know, moms don't want to think about their boys. Well, you are the one buying the underwear unsolicited, so I... Well, you know. it's not like it's thongs. It's boxer briefs, my God. Jackie Gleason probably wore them, you know? Jackie Gleason? Where on earth did that come from? Because <laughs> he's a... Because he, <clears throat> he's big. Because yeah, he was big? He's what? also dead. Yeah, he is. Hey, by the way, I didn't know Mrs. Broadhead had died. That was the real shock of that story for me. Although... <laughs> In fairness, I didn't know she was still alive either, so I guess I just uh, right. sort of... That's, and that's what, that's what the rest of you kids said, too. That switch just flipped from alive to dead back again <laughs> <laughs> in my mind, right? Oh, she's alive. Oh, no. No. Nope. <laughs> this isn't funny. <laughs> Stop making me laugh.
Now I'm embarrassed. I have to go. <laughs> no, no. We have to talk about Catch-22, shall we? We shall. Joseph Heller's satirical war novel Catch-22 has been a staple of the 20th century American canon almost since it was published in 1961. But an enduring screen adaptation of the novel has proved elusive, the most notable attempt being Mike Nichols' largely forgotten 1970 feature film. Now George Clooney has stepped in as the executive producer of a six-part miniseries on Hulu that chronicles the efforts of thoroughly sane World War II airman John Yosarian to escape a thoroughly insane war. Christopher Abbott plays Yosarian in an ensemble that also includes Kyle Chandler and Daniel David Stewart, plus Clooney himself appears in a small role. Here's a clip. Am I supposed to get my ass shot off because Cathcar wants to become a general? What about the men on the mainland? Our boys on the ground, are they supposed to get their asses shot off just because you don't want to fly? Those boys are entitled to air support. Our boys on the ground. Would you listen to yourself? Now you're even talking like Cathcar. Yes, they're entitled to our support, but not necessarily by me. Not me specifically. The only reason we're still flying is not for some for some noble purpose. It's because that bastard keeps raising our mission. Listen. You know very well that I don't approve of Colonel Cathcart any more than you do. But it is not for us to determine what targets must be destroyed, or who's to destroy them. Or who them, gets killed doing them, yes, and why? even that. We have oh, no right to question You're insane. No right to question Do the... you really mean that it's none of my business how or why I get killed, and that it is Cathcart's? Do you really mean that? Yes, I do. There are men entrusted with winning the war who are in a much better position than we are to decide what targets have to be bombed, and who has to do it. Okay, we're talking about two different things. You're talking about the relationship of the Air Corps to the infantry. Yep. And I'm talking about the relationship of me to Cathcart. You're talking about winning the war. And I'm talking about winning the war and keeping me alive. Exactly. And which do you think is more important? What? Open your eyes, Clevenger. It doesn't make a damn bit of difference who wins the war to someone who's dead. Congratulations. I can't think of another attitude that could be depended upon to give greater comfort to the enemy. The enemy? is anybody who's gonna get you killed no matter which side he's on, and that includes Cathcart. And don't you forget that, because the longer you remember it, the longer you might live. I wanna live! Catch-22 is available to stream on Hulu! Mom, is this show a major, major, major success? Yes. Good. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It. Um, we watched it at a time near... Memorial Day, so you especially feel that. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought this was, this gave me a look at, I'm, I'm not sure how to say this. Um, you know, my father went to war, went to World War II, and was on his way home and rerouted to Japan mm -hmm. for the Korean War. So, So this was very interesting to me to watch and to, I thought they, they showed both sides of the coin so beautifully. Um, the humor, the irony, the, the angst, mm -hmm. um, and it was not in your face. It was just, you could, you could just see the frustration building and eventually you could see him break. You could see Yosarian yeah. Uh, who is the main focus of this um, series, Break. Yeah. I, I thought you could really feel it, you know? Absolutely you could. His uh, his growing desperation 
uh, is very well rendered by uh, Christopher Abbott, who plays Yosarian. Shame they couldn't get someone handsome to play this role, huh? It's a shame yeah, they couldn't that, get someone who looks bad. good with his shirt off. <laughs> I think. He was hunky. <laughs> they couldn't have him in that bathing suit enough. He hardly ever puts on his uniform. Well, and isn't that really just the surprise ending of it all <laughs> when he's finally broke? Um, and and you're just rooting for him right through because he's, he plays by the rules, more or less. And it's getting him nowhere. Well, Yosarian plays by the rules? Well, he plays by the rules in that he has a number of missions he has to do. Yes, I see. And it's... Yeah, and as soon as he gets there, I mean, the goal of this of his part in the movie is to go home. He wants to go home, so he plays by the rules as far as that part, the 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 war part. That's right. That's right. He um, and he has a little speech in one episode about how he doesn't believe that going a wall is the answer. He doesn't intend to be a fugitive for the rest of his life. <clears throat> for people who right. haven't read the book. Um, you know, let me just lay a little groundwork. Like I mentioned before, it is World War II, um, the Army Air Force, and Yosarian is a uh, bomber. So we see a number of scenes of him in a cockpit, or whatever you would call it, um, hunched over a bomb site, and just the um, air scenes are so gripping. And But the story is about really... Uh, you know, I highlighted in the intro sanity and insanity, and if you don't know what Catch-22, I'm sure you know it from hearing it in the popular parlance, but in the book, right. Catch-22 is specifically um, what this uh, doctor says, this doctor friend of Yosarian, tells him that Catch-22 is that um, the doctor can discharge anybody who he deems to be crazy, but they have to ask him, and if they ask him, uh, it indicates that they are afraid for their lives, which is perfectly sane, and so he can't discharge them. The story revolves around circles of rationality, irrational circles of rationality like this, mm, um, mm. and the madness of war put up against the regimented order of war. And I was really, I read the book a long time ago, when I was in college or, or something, I didn't read it for school. Mm -hmm. I just read it for pleasure and did just love it. I think this time, mom, I was struck by, you know, Yosarian makes these little efforts to escape, right? He, you know, right. he tries to play sick. He moves right. the bomb line on the map and causes mayhem. He poisons the soup. Well, he doesn't poison. Them. Well, no, but he you know, he has uh, Milo Minderbinder, who we should also talk about, you know, put soap flakes in the soup. And this is all stuff from right. from the book. The the series is very down to a lot of the dialogue really adheres to the book very closely. But I was struck, Mom, by, I guess, the theme that I saw seeing the story this time after having read it a long time ago was that every time... Yosarian tries to tamper with this collective insanity by bringing in his very rational view of, hey, we're all just trying not to get killed here and let's do anything we can to, to survive. Every time he tries to tweak the collective insanity, um, mayhem results. He gets someone killed. He gets a lot of guys right. killed, right? Or some other yes. 
some other um, terrible thing happens and he just sinks deeper into his wide-eyed depression. It's striking to me that the story kind of makes the case that collective insanity works better than than sort of a patchwork of sanity and insanity, right? If everyone's on right. the same page, you can move forward, but disaster occurs whenever he tries to be rational. Well, I think I think I the best example that I that comes to mind is when he moves the um line of where the troops yeah. are have yeah. you know, where they've captured and he moves the line and Hugh Laurie's character goes to into a village where right. we supposedly have overtaken, only to find that he walks right into the headquarters of the opposing Right. Straight into in. a Nazi briefing. And we never see him again. Yeah. But the other part of it was is that it really brings home to me, it brought home what war actually is for a person. And that was the hard part for me because the uncle for whom I am named was a Navy pilot. And he went on a reconnaissance flight and their, his plane encountered trouble and landed in the Atlantic Ocean in New York Harbor. It, it crashed, and he was in a lifeboat and with a with a senator son from Massachusetts, and a German submarine surfaced and said, "We'll take you closer to shore." And they hooked on to the lifeboat and dragged them under the ocean, which has always been a very chilling tale to me. And so watching Catch-22 brought that story right up to my mind again. And I tried to do some investigating on the internet about it, but there's very little information. So I'm not sure where I would go to find out more about it. But, you know, that was the war. That was part of, of Yosarian's war, that that was going on um, not someplace far away, but right here mm. on the Atlantic coast. And apparently there were German submarines up and down the whole coast of the United States. So when I see him sitting in his little cubby, you know, under the cockpit, trying to choose where they're going to drop the bombs, it's very real to me, very real. And at the end, when he's just finally broken, just broken, he's, it, it just feels like what everybody says so glibly, you know, war is stupid, and, and it really is. It's just so pointless. What's the point? I mentioned the, first of all, I didn't know that's how Bonnie Morecambe died. I mean, I knew that he died in the war, but I didn't know it was so... It's a tough story because to have glimpsed salvation, uh, it's a tough story. It's a very tough story. It's a very tough story. And there's no happy ending. You know, my, my grandmother was awarded a Purple Heart, and it's also 
foolish. I don't know. It just uh, it makes I don't know, it leaves me nothing with questions and having a personal story like that. That's my personal story, but millions of us have a personal story like that. That's right. I mentioned the scenes in the air, and they really struck me because um, not only were they rendered so vividly, uh, well, because they were rendered so vividly, perhaps, I got this feeling that these boys, and a tip of the hat to the casting for going with such a young cast to really hit home this feeling that these were boys. Yeah. You know, when when I first read it, in college, I felt like I was reading about men. Men, yeah. And then seeing this story as someone a bit older who now has his own kids, they just, they're like kids to me. They're, yeah. And it's its that much more um, heartbreaking because of it. But these boys, I always saw those scenes as um, them flying up to the edge of death and darting among its tendrils. And it's almost like I can see the death um, reaching out to them as they fly through the air. I mean, you can see the pops of anti-aircraft fire all, all in the sky, but right. I also just feel like I can I can see and feel death reaching out to these boys. And perhaps I feel that because you can see Yosari and Christopher Abbott does such a great performance uh, in these scenes and really all of his scenes. Um, but I can I can see him feel the death, too. And his, you know, sometimes his distracted gazes, there's this, you know, the the one scene where the plane next to him gets blown up and there's about 10 seconds of Yosarian just gazing out the window at this other guy, at this other bomber and just watching him. And you might wonder, like, what is he looking at? I certainly wondered, what is he looking at? And then that plane gets hit and blows up and i just felt like oh yosarian could see the could see the death reaching out somehow he could sense it and yeah. it it gives yosarian he has this worldly air but he's so young at the same time and i guess that's why i yeah. brought these two things up together you know the youth and and the the tendrils of death because I feel like this to have to face those things as any human being, but as someone who really has had very little exposure to the world at all, yeah, it's as you watch, you can see why everybody else is crazy, and Yosarian is the weird one for for being somewhat rational, right? And the torture for right. him is that rationality only drives him in circles. You know, the catch catch called catch twenty two because that is sort of the emblematic logical process that this story undergoes again and again, where if you try to think things through rationally, you just end up going in a circle. Somehow the only way to advance is to be crazy. Uh, I just thought that both both sides of the coin, this was very even. Some chuckles, some laughs, uh, yeah. then some shocking. Uh, occurrences, and it seems like we're watching uh, Yosarian coming to a realization of what this war, it means to him, mm-hmm. and and then how it progresses on from watching friends die and 
you know, when he finally steps up to the plate and he takes a, a young, I don't know if he was a gunner or what he was supposed to be, they're up in the plane together and he, the guy, the boy is afraid to go back in the, in the tail. And, you know, Sarian says, you sit right here, you know, just watch what goes on and you just sit right here. And he gets hit and, you know, Sarian goes back and acts fatherly to him and it's for naught. And at that point I felt like I was broken. Yeah. You know, I said, I really do think dad has often said, follow the money, follow the money. And they do think war is good for commerce. And I don't, I just don't understand why we do it. I think back when the Vietnam war started, I thought, oh yeah, war, war, where's my bell bottoms? Uh, why didn't they go through? You know what I mean? It was just so yeah. Yeah. stupid. Yeah. Um, well, you were young. Well, I realized that, but there were a lot of people my age that were out there protesting, and I feel like uh, I sort of missed that boat, and I wished I had been part of it. Mm. I understand it better now, but they understood it then. Why didn't I? I mean, I'm not particularly stupid, so, but, you know, I was busy with uh, nonsense. Well, everybody takes a different pace through life. So I, I don't think you can be so hard on yourself. This is the second podcast in a while in uh, recent weeks where you've been hard on your young self. And I think you need to be easier on your young self. I don't know. It seems like how could these people have been so aware? I mean, there certainly was an aspect to it that I didn't care for. And that was there was this was also a time when a lot of drugs were, were mm. coming into play. And I sort of associated the two, mm-hmm. these mm-hmm. protesters and drugs, which I didn't want any part of. I associated those, I think probably wrongly. So, you know, that's the only excuse I have. But anyway, I enjoyed this close up look at war that didn't, didn't really have an agenda. It wasn't trying to convince you one way or the other. It was just giving you a story. And I loved every person that was cast in this Yeah, was absolutely perfect. Let's talk a little about Kyle Chandler, if we're going to get on the casting, as Colonel Cathcart. Okay. First of all, he's amazing as this um, sputtering colonel. Uh, but... <laughs> I think that the casting was particularly inspired because what is Kyle Chandler known best for? He was the coach on Friday Night Lights, right? And how many scenes did we see of him making these inspirational speeches where he showed how much he cared about those boys on his team, right? That was right. That was a, a show with a lot of heart and a character who had nothing but heart. And now we see him, and it's such great casting because they, you know, they would have known that our reading of him for a lot of viewers is going to be colored by this Friday Night Lights experience. And again and again, you'll have a moment where it seems like Colonel Cathcart really cares about these boys. You know, maybe he'll adopt a hushed tone and talk about how proud he is of them. Or maybe he'll serve them all baked Alaska from Milo Minderbinder's kitchen. But then the hammer drops and his rage and his his power come to the fore and 
you know, they have to fly more missions or Yosarian's crew is getting chewed out or whatever. Again and again, I started to melt when he would show seeming affection for his charges and then feel the despair when he just went back to, we got a charge ahead and we're going to hit him even harder and you're going to fly even more missions. The casting really allowed me to, or helped me to feel the emotional roller coaster of Yosarian and his compatriots. He he was marvelous, uh, and I think I'm not sure George Clooney was originally going to play yes, him. That's right. I think that's right. Yeah, and uh, and then he took a lesser part. I mentioned uh, I gave a call out to Daniel David Stewart in the intro because he plays Milo Minderbinder the profiteer who becomes a mess officer, but really ends up running most of the operations. And they're all, they're all eating well. That's for they're sure. They're all eating well. He can get food from, uh, yeah, all over the globe. Again, hewing very closely to the character in the book. Uh, but I just think that Stuart, Stuart did a great job making himself, uh, the, smiling face of sinister capitalism. Yeah. Cause he kept everybody happy. He wasn't greedy. He, he, well. he really, well, well. I mean, he was greedy. He was greedy in for himself, but he also shared his largesse, you know? Yes, he wasn't. He's not an entirely black soul as evidenced no. by the, by the exchange when he does agree to put the soap flakes in the soup for Yosarian after Yosarian right. makes the case like your job is to keep us alive. And I say this is going to keep us alive because we won't have to fly this mission. Right. So he does have some heart in there, but. No, I see what you're saying. I do see what you're saying. And again, this reminded me of my dad who used to steal a couple of boxes of hot dogs a day from I don't know where and sell them on the side when he was in Japan. Oh yeah. Yeah. He had a little hot dog, he had a little hot dog business going. So that's who he, who who Daniel David Stewart reminded me of. Um it just brought back some funny stories and mm. some sad stories, of course. Yeah. Um but again, all history that nobody ever talked about. You know, we didn't talk about this. You never asked any questions. And In the family, you mean? Could, yeah. Hmm. So I felt like I was uh, learning a little bit about things I didn't know about. Hmm. So we both liked this, it sounds like. Yeah, I really did. I, I think, I, I can't even tell you how important and spot on, I thought the casting was. I agree. I agree. It, up and down the line, it, they just nailed it. Hugh Laurie, hilarious. Oh, perfect. Everybody was perfect. I think so. I, I really couldn't recommend this enough to to everyone. Wow. Okay. Should, what's the, what's your grade to make it official here? Oh, you know what? I'm going to give this an A++. Oh, the rare A++. Sound the sirens. <laughs> Catch-22 earns a double-plus from Mom. Wow, this is a big moment on Pop Mom. What's the last thing that got an A-double-plus? I can't even remember. God, I can't remember. I have to look back. Oh, I don't have that book with me. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. But wow. It's been a while. I really enjoyed this. 
Uh, Mom, what is your recommendation for this week, aside from Cats 22, which you so heartily recommend? My recommendation, I'm afraid to tell you, uh, except that I know you already know, is a book called If Cats Disappeared from the World. It is translated from Japanese by, do you want to say his name? Do you want me to say the name of the translator or the author? The author. Genki Kawamura. Genki Genki, Genki. Kawamura. Mm-hmm. This is a book about, uh, now, you know, it's a novel, okay? It's very short. You could read it in two hours. It's a book about a fellow that goes to the doctor and finds out he has terminal cancer. And he goes home and he passes out. And when he wakes up, the devil is waiting for him. And he has an offer for him. He will exchange one thing disappearing from the world for an extra day of life. So it begins and he, the first, the, the devil shows up and the devil gets to decide what, what goes. Mm. And so I think the first thing he decides is that phones will disappear and you can use, he gets to use the phone one last time and that is it. Then all phones disappear from all over the world and the impact that that has on us and our daily life and uh, thoughts that bring that come to mind about communication and whatnot. Mm. And so a number of things disappear and, and the implications that they have. And, but then the devil comes and says, cats, cats will disappear. So now he has to decide, is he going to, have cats disappear from the world or is he going to die and the implications of that and um <clears throat> that's all i'll say it's it's very thought-provoking really uh there's you know there's some flaws in the in the ideology of it but it's uh i loved it it was very charming mm, sounds fascinating okay if cats disappeared from the world by Genki Kawamura. I have to tell you one last thing before we sign off. So right. uh, a couple of weeks ago, we did Apollo 11, right? Yeah. And then we were going to do Catch-22 next, but we pushed that back a week um, so we could do Jeopardy. And you remember I said to you, well, now we got to find something 33 because we did Apollo 11 and we did Catch-22. We got to find something 33, right? Just a little uh, yeah. joke, I mean. Um, yeah. Well, Mom, I looked back at the James Holzhauer episode that we reviewed instead of Catch-22 last week, and I realized that it was James Holzhauer's 33rd game. Oh, no. That is so weird. Now that's weird, huh? That's weird. Now we have to find out if he has a white truck. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, that'll do it for this week's edition of Pop Mom. Mom and I will be back next week to talk about more pop culture, maybe something with a 44 in it. Uh, What should we talk about, though, Mom? Ooh, something interesting, I think. Something interesting. All right, I think we can make that work. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the show, tell your friends. We love you. Mom and I will talk to you again next week. Bye for now, Mom. Bye, Johnny. I love you. Love you, too. 